to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Father God, we, we love you. And God, just what a privilege to to be in the presence of your people, to, to be in the presence of your saints, uh, the mighty ones that your word speaks of, and, and, and to be, uh, God, just undone by you, just in your presence, Lord, and to know that, that uh, God, we matter to you, uh, that right now, Lord, your, your, your gaze is upon us, and your attention is focused, Lord, on us, and there's not one need in this room that you are unaware of, God, and not one thought that fell through the cracks, not one prayer unheard of, Lord, and not one tear not seen and, and noticed. And, and we thank you we can bring all of that, God, just to, to your power and just to your grace. And, Lord, that we can relax in you this evening and, and we can thank you that you are here and that you are about, even as we sang, to not just come and give us peace and give us joy and give us life and, and hope and all of that, but to be that for us, God. And we just want to make that the declaration of our hearts, Lord, that, that we want you. We want the fullness of what you have for us. We don't just want to settle for what you give us, as awesome as that is. But we want you to be our portion, our prize in the pursuit of our hearts, Lord. And God, thank you for the unshackling that's going to take place tonight. I just sense that some of us, we have, it's like we have these straitjackets across our hearts and these chains that have just locked our hearts in. And uh, I just sense the, the Holy Spirit is just, even as we're just sitting underneath the Word and as we're going to worship the Lord a little bit later, just going to come and unlock our hearts and just have just songs that are residing in there, just release songs to Him, songs that, that He longs to hear from our hearts um, and just hope to be released and, and life just to flow for fountains to be stirred in our, in our hearts. And so, Lord, we thank You that You're here to set the captives free. Uh, and you're here to do it, Lord, not by might nor by power, but, but to do it by your Spirit. And, and uh, God, yeah, you're awesome. We love you and we thank you. Lord, we can be uh, here on holy ground that we can... Oh, Lord, I'm just so aware that this is holy ground. Uh, so aware that this hall is, is holy because of your presence. Because we are here. So we just want to consecrate the space to you, God. We thank you that tonight will be, as Gornay Becker says, will be a thin place, a thin space. Oh, you'll just come and have your way with our hearts, Lord. We consecrate it unto you, God. And we say, Lord, your will and no one else's will tonight. In, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. I'm excited. Matthew 8, verse 1 to 2. Um, so this verse, the Lord has been just um, chatting to me about quite, quite often in Matthew 8, which obviously comes after Matthew 7 and 6 and 5. Um, and during those previous chapters, Jesus was just... He was up on the mountains, as, as he often was, and, and, and the mountains were his, his podium. Right? He, he was just preaching off the mountains. Very often he would use a boat and he would preach off that. But he loved the mountains. He loved to get up into the mountains and preach from there, and obviously his voice would carry. And he would be preaching these awesome sermons, and I would encourage you to go and read them, the Beatitudes, and just so many profound things Jesus was saying that if we were to apply just one of them, it would change our lives. Um, you know, turn the other cheek, blessed are those who, who, who just like hunger and thirst because they will be satisfied. Just so many incredible truths that Jesus ministered. And at the end of this, this amazing series of messages and, and Jesus ministering to people, 
he comes down from the mountain, right? So it says, when he, being Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Um, great multitudes. And, and we can often look at them like, uh, I don't know what a great multitude is in your mind, um, but a great multitude is like a great multitude. It's like lots of people. Um, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to the UK. We were ministering to some of our churches there. And just being there on Trafalgar Square and, and getting into the tubes, and you realize what a multitude is. Just like people like pressing on you, and then the train is one minute late, everybody's up in arms. You know, how dare they? One minute, 30 seconds, you know, it's like unheard of. And then people start pushing from the back, and like this multitude is around you. And, and I, was, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how Jesus was just like constantly thronged by people, multitudes of people around him all the time. And he preached this incredible sermon. At one stage, the Bible says that he fed 5,000 men. Another stage, 7,000. It's besides the women and children. So there were thousands of people around Jesus, you know, all the time. And at one such moment, great multitudes, a crowd of people following him. And they're excited. They're hanging on every word. They just want to be around Jesus. And I don't blame them. I think if you were around Jesus, you probably want to be around him. Uh, I think you were, some of you were excited when you heard that I'm coming and... Um, but I know you're much more excited about Jesus. Right? About Jesus coming, Jesus pitching, Jesus being in the house. That's what, what gets your heart excited. And if you were around Jesus uh, when Jesus was alive, I'm sure you would have been there. If Jesus is there, I'm going to be there, man. And, and so there were like thousands of people around Jesus this particular moment. And they, they're following him down the mountain. So, so picture the scene, Jesus coming down the mountain, multitudes following him, straining to, to catch what he's saying, wanting to be close to him, wanting to touch him, discussing the sermon, just lots of noise, lots of activity. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says, and behold, all right? So like, okay, pay attention. <laughs> something is, something is going to happen. So you've got this crowd of people following Jesus down the mountain, and behold, something happens. There's, there's someone the Bible calls a leper. That came and worshipped him. It's interesting, the crowds came, the crowds followed Jesus. Interesting about that. And they, they're following him, but, but here the Bible speaks about someone who wasn't just following Jesus, but actually comes and he worships Jesus. And so, so already there we see a difference between what has been happening all along. People are listening to him, they're inspired by him, they're in awe of him, they're thinking, wow, what an amazing teacher, what an incredible man. Um, the end of chapter 7 says he teaches like someone who has authority, not like the Pharisees. So they are in awe of this man, this miracle worker, this man who has incredible words of life. But it was only a handful of people who related to him, not just as an amazing teacher, but as the Son of God. A handful of people, and incredible who those people were. If you were to go make a study in, in Scripture, you would see the woman with the alabaster flask of oil who came and knelt down at Jesus' feet, this incredibly broken woman that comes and worships at Jesus' feet, this demon-possessed man who had a, like a legion of demons, like hundreds of demons possessing him, falling down at Jesus' feet and worshiping Jesus. And here comes this other man, uh, the Bible calls a leper, and he comes in and he worships Jesus. And, and I sort of picture the scene, and I don't know where he was up until that moment, but in my mind's eye, I sort of see the crowd coming down the mountain with Jesus and then this man going upstream, fighting through the crowd. All right, because he didn't worship Jesus from a distance, did he? He didn't worship Jesus because the Bible says that he worshiped him. Come back to live screen, all right? Sponsor the word. 
And he comes close enough to speak to Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And, and so he comes close to Jesus. And that's the amazing thing about an evening like this, isn't it, when we worship. You make a choice. I, I could have stayed at home. I, I could have remained in whatever circumstances were keeping me back. But I decided to come close. As, as, you, as you made the decision tonight to come close and to worship with the saints, so is the decision you have to make on a daily basis to come close to Jesus. Yes, he's there, as he was there for the multitudes. But only one guy got close enough to him, really got close to him, to worship him. And then he starts engaging with Jesus. And he, and he says to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I, I stopped a little bit there, and I was thinking about this, and I realized how this, this man's prayer, this man's request, was well, actually more a statement, isn't it? It's not really a request. <laughs> Uh, he says, um, God, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So in other words, he's saying, I know you can. Do you see that? There's no question in his mind about God's ability. I've seen this enough. He's maybe heard about his ten other buddies who got healed by Jesus. The ten other lepers, remember the story? You know what happens to outcasts and people who are ostracized? They normally all know each other. You know, because they're all that they have. Nobody else is hanging around with them. So guess who the lepers are going to hang around with? Other lepers. You know, guess who the drunkards and the prostitutes hang around with and the tax collectors, other drunkards and tax collectors and, um, and prostitutes. And that's why, so when Matthew invited people over to his house after Jesus changed his life, who did he invite over? He invited other tax collectors and, and sinners over. So in any case, I'm getting distracted. So this, this man must have heard about this Jesus that heals leprosy. Now they say that, that um, you normally had about 10 years um, left in you. Um, the disease took about 10 years to run its course. And it would normally start with just some aches and pains in your bones. And after a while, you'd be scratching and getting scales and be itchy all over. And then you would get these lumps, these growths on your skin that get all pussy. Uh, and then it would start invading your vocal cords. So it would change the way your voice sounds. And you would be developing this croaking voice. And then it would eventually start attacking your, your skeletal system. And so you would begin to look a little bit more like, almost like an animal, more like a human being. You get all contorted and get growths on your face and your nose. And, and then eventually your, your skin would start putrefying and decaying uh, while you're still alive. So you'd be the walking dead. Uh, and so there were laws governing the leper's interaction with, with other people. Right? And by law, they were, they were forced to stay outside of the city gates. Um, if your family still loved you at all, if your family didn't forsake you, they didn't see this as God's curse upon your life, and they still had some sort of compassion for you, they would go outside of the city, and they would leave some food there for you. And you would hide away until they're gone, and then you would go and you'd get your food, and then you would disappear again. So you weren't included within normal community life. And so this man comes here, and he goes against convention, doesn't he? Because he's risking his life here. If you, uh, because in the Hebrew culture, the community was much more important than the individual. So if you got close to the community, you were endangering the lives of the community. And you would be stoned. Because rather you die than other people die. All right? And so here he goes, and he runs the risk of being killed. He says, but, but I'm, I, I need to get close to Jesus. <laughs> Man, I don't, I don't care what you guys think. I might die in this process, but I'd rather die than continue living this way. And I know what I've done up to now hasn't worked. The only one that can change me is Christ. 
I love the desperation about someone who knows how much they need a touch from Jesus. I love the desperation. I think desperation sets the crowd apart from the worshippers. I believe the level of desperation in our hearts determines whether we will simply be followers content to listen to good teaching and good words and be inspired for a while or whether we will get close enough to have an honest conversation with Jesus. Even be honest enough to, to, to invite Him into our doubts. And this was His doubt. God, I know You can do it, but I sure as heck doubt whether You want to do this for me. I know You can do this, but I'm not sure whether You want to do this for me. If, if you are willing, and you can make me clean. And, you know, in, in our nation, of course, we had Robben Island, right, which was a political prison. But before it was a political prison, it was a place we banished all our lepers to. It was a leprous colony uh, before it was a political prison, right, not, too, not too long ago. And so we, we pushed them aside. And, um, and spiritually speaking, we've got leprous people uh, very often around us. People that we, that we box in. And that we label, and that we say, all right, you are contaminated, or you are untouchable, or whatever the case may be. Because a leper's greatest sentence was this, for the rest of his human life, he would have to walk around without a human touch. No one would touch him again. And so what is fascinating to me is how Jesus responds to this man. Even before he says a word, verse 3 I love our master. I love God in the flesh. So many times in, in the Bible when Jesus healed people, he spoke to them. Be healed. Your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. Lazarus, come forth. And he could have done the same here, couldn't he? He could have just spoken the word. But he makes a point of putting his hands on the putrefying, dying, decaying flesh touches him and he says to him I'm willing I'm willing three words but I believe so profound that that ushered in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross Jesus on the cross was this if ever you still have doubts about my willingness to reach you through your leprosy, through your sin, through all your rebellion, through all of that, here I am declaring it once and for all. I am willing and able. I know I'm often willing. I listen to people and my heart breaks for people. But I know I can't. There's just so much that I can't do. I'm willing, but I can't. But Jesus is both willing and able. And sometimes I must admit I can do something to alleviate someone's need, but I'm really willing to do it because I've got some other stuff you know, more important. And the Bible says immediately this man's leprosy was healed. And I'm, I was thinking about this. When was the last time someone touched this man? When was the last time he was really genuinely touched? And so he had a physical need, massive physical need. But I believe that physical need was, it was even a greater relational need. He needed another human being to touch him. In this case, God comes, touches him, heals him. This is my fervent belief that God has called us as a community of worshipers to touch people. 
And, and that means that we need to get close to people. That means that we need to be, be more in love with Jesus than what we are afraid of sin. Sometimes we're so afraid of the sin, we're so afraid of the contamination that we, we, don't, we, we shy away. And I believe that, that worshipers live differently. Worshipers don't live afraid of sin. They live in awe of God. <laughs> and then that allows you to get into the leprosy. But it is very difficult for us to do that if we ourselves still have this nagging suspicion that Jesus isn't really willing to touch me. Because you can only give what you have received. Very difficult to get into someone else's life and not be intimidated by their sin, be intimidated by their rebellion, be intimidated by whatever it is that they're going through, not judge them, not give the quick answer if you yourself are under the yoke of slavery. It says to you, you need to be better, do more. And unless you do that, you will never be able to worship God. So my invitation to you is whatever your leprosy, and let's face it, and he said it this morning, all of us fail God. All of us in some stage of another have stuff dying in us, around us. Have things we are ashamed of, have things we're not proud of. And our choice is this, we can allow those things to keep us at a distance or we can allow those things to push us towards God. Push us to Him. Get close enough to Him to say, Jesus, this is how I feel. I feel just like you don't care about me. <laughs> I've been walking with this thing around for like hundreds of years. You've done it for all my other buddies, but I think, I don't, I'm not sure whether you want to do this for me. And Jesus comes and he, he touches him. It's not testing God, but I've found that out of a place of genuine worship, where we first choose to worship Jesus, because I love what this man did. He didn't just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, like, I need a miracle from you. The Bible says he first came and he worshipped. He first stepped away from his leprosy and he said, I am a worshipper first before, before I'm a leper. You might look at me and see a leper, but I'm a worshiper first. And I will not allow man's convention, I will not allow my condition, I will not allow anything to keep me from worshiping Christ. Because that is where I find my life. But if we find our life and our source of life in other areas, then we don't have the desperation, do we? Because I've got my wife and I've got my cat and I've got my bank balance and I've got all of those things. And so, you know, a day or two without Christ doesn't really change my life. A week or two, maybe, months can go by and I can go without having an encounter with Jesus and be fine and yet be dying on the inside. So I'm just wanting to stir your desperation for God a little bit this, this evening. You know, and just say, guys, let's push in. Right, we're going to worship Him now. Let's push in. Let's not allow anything to keep us at a distance. Let, let's not be content to have the band do the worshiping. <laughs> All right, let's, let's say this is my moment. He had to make a choice there. Say this is my moment to connect with Christ. This is my moment. And Christ wants to do it for me. I read this verse this morning, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Because I was thinking about the things that God is able to do. He says, God, if you are willing, I know you are able to do this for me. And 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says this. So I was just looking at a few things God is able to do, and I just want to speak this over you in faith, read a few verses for you. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Not a little bit of grace, not like a trickle. All grace abound to you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, might have an abundance for every good work. This Paul was writing to the church in Corinth who had committed themselves to giving to him, to support him. 
Now they're running into some financial difficulty and they're wondering, you know, should we still go through with the gift? And Paul says, guys, I know you made a commitment when things were going well. Now things are a little bit tougher, but I'm convinced of this. God is able to make all grace. If you read that verse, there's such a lot of powerful little words in there. Right? Able to make all grace abound to you. So you can have all sufficiency in all things, might have abundance for every good work. You can spend your entire life just sitting on that, inviting God into your life. And so my challenge to myself is this, God, where am I not experiencing that all grace, that all sufficiency? And then not to get into condemnation and say, woe is me because I'm not experiencing, but I say, God, this is your promise, and I believe you want to do this. So I'm going to bring my lack. I'm going to bring the areas in my life where I'm not having an abundance for every good work. I'm going to bring that before you. I'm going to say to you, God, I'm going to submit this to you. Come and breathe upon this. You are still God in spite of my circumstances. Because this is our challenge. We can allow our experiences, what people have told us, what we have been through, to, to superimpose upon that verse and to, and to dictate our faith. And to say, uh, you know, not, maybe not all grace, not to me. Maybe to the other guys that are more spiritual. Have the word define your expectations, not your expectations define the word. Let's get back. Some of you might just go and read the word. Just read it. It's tough to have an encounter with Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is. All right? it's, 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 it's dangerous running after an experience to be in the presence of Jesus if you don't even know what Jesus is like. And how God has chosen to reveal Christ, first and foremost, is not through a spiritual encounter, but it is through the word. So the more you know Christ through the word, the better equipped your heart is to recognize him when you meet him. In the presence of worship. Right? Um, secondly, God is able to provide for every work He has called you guys to do. I just, I just felt in my heart to speak this over you for the Santon um, plant coming up soon and what, what you guys are trusting the Lord for here. It says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. Right? He's building His church here. He's building His church in this area. He builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel and He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You will not believe how liberating those verses have been for me again. Not Heinrich. God does it. He calls me to partner with him. So the work he has called us to do here in Santa and Ravonia, in this area, it's not our work. It's him doing it. He has just called us to partner with him. Right, but he's building this church. He's going to see to it that this plant flourishes and everything that the Lord has called you to do. And he gathers together the outcasts of Israel. I'm convinced of this. God is looking for people that he can trust with outcasts. He's looking for people he can trust with the lepers. He's looking for people he can trust with the lonely, the, the, the people that just look completely as if they don't belong, don't want to be here. And I'm saying to him, Jesus, I want to I be part of, of your people. I want to be part of that people that you can trust with the things that are really precious to you. There's a beautiful story in Second Chronicles 25, verse 9. I actually just want to read the... Is Henny sitting in the audience, all right? So I'm so afraid I'm going to just read something out of context. And uh, everyone help me. I went to pay Henny a visit yesterday, all right? And... Um, I took a water break and went to the bathroom, his bathroom, <clears throat> toilet, all right? And normally you have Car Magazine in there and Sports Illustrated and 
not there. <laughs> All right. He's a leisure reading like five or six books on uh, sermon preparation and homiletics and just like incredible, like meaty stuff. I was in awe. I was just like, I'm the presence of, of greatness. Uh, just like amazing. I need to revamp my, my reading material. Just like incredible. So I got a lot of good tips there. And I did wonder, however, how long he spends there. <laughs> All right, but I need to hurry up. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 5, 2 Chronicles 25. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their fathers' houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. Right, so he's about to go and fight against the Edomites, Amaziah, king of Judah. He's got 300,000 choice men, right? Um, fully equipped, fully armed men to go into this battle. Um, he's making his sums, um, fed it into his spreadsheet, and he saw, okay, no, this is not going to work. This is not enough, all right? I'm going to get into the red here. So he goes over to um, the king of Israel. At that stage, the two kingdoms were split. And he also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor, right? So he gets the best guys from Israel, another 100,000 men, and his sums make sense to him. All right, now I'm, I'm covered. He pays 100 talents of silver for them. Okay, so he's made his sums. Everything is looking hunky-dory, except for verse 8, which is not on there. Right? Uh, verse 7. After he's done all his sums, after he's paid the money, here happens verse 7. But, there's the word again, but, but a man of God came to him. Don't just hate that sometimes. You know, you're like, Look at this. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, nor with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. So, so the man of God comes to him and says to him, you can do this in your own. You don't need the king of Israel. If you do go with the king of Israel, you're going to fail. I'm like, this is after he's paid the hundred talents of silver. What was wrong with the man of God that he couldn't just come before that? You know, after all the market research, out of all the effort, getting all the consultants in, doing all the counting, stripping the treasury, it would have been so much easier had God just told him beforehand. I don't know whether this ever happened to you, but, um, you know, I don't know whether he prayed, maybe after he paid the money, then he prayed that silly prayer, he's made his psalms, and then he prayed, God, please bless my plans. You know, sometimes we make the plan first, and then you're like, all right, now I just need God's anointing on this end. Okay. And so obviously, he's, he's breaking out in a sweat. How do you explain this to the, to the Levites, to the treasury? How do you explain that, you know, you've just paid 100 talents of silver, and, you know, it's, what am I going to do with this? So Amaziah said to the man of God, what shall we do about the 100 talents which I've given to the troops of Israel? He says, okay, God, you brought me this word. You brought the word late. All right, so I'm prepared to let those guys go, okay, the 100,000 men that I've hired. But um, let's just be fair. You know, what shall we do about this money? And then um, the man of God answers, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. I love that. You've made your sums, you've put in all of your energy, all your human effort, and he says to him, step away from the vehicle. <laughs> Walk a way 
walk away. Walk away from your human effort. Don't try and figure it out. Don't think about how you will get the hundred talents back. Walk away. Because God is able to give you more than what you are losing right now. And I just want to encourage some of you, God is more than all your intellect, all the sums that you've made, all the resources that you've gathered, everything that you have come up with, the best laid plans. God is more than that. And He's able to give you more than what you... And for some of you, God has been speaking to you and saying, walk away from some stuff. Cut it off. Walk away from some bad thinking. Walk away from some bad influences. Walk away. Change. Don't bargain with God when you know that it's what God has said. Leave the hundred talents, all right? You can only do it if you know. You're not sacrificing. You know what a sacrifice is? Sacrifice is when you give up something and you get something back that's of lesser worth. That's a sacrifice, eh? I'm, I'm giving away something and I'm getting something less in return. But when you give up something, you get something that is of greater value. That's a bargain. <laughs> all right? you, you're gaining more. And in God's economy, even though it hurts, what you gain in the long run is so much more powerful. All right? We can only do that if we trust His heart. If you don't trust God's heart, when He says, give it up, walk away, it becomes difficult. Right? And I just want to encourage you, some of you in the valley of decision, in obedience, God is able to give you much more than what you are giving up now. Much more. Then my last verse, because apparently you guys preach short here. Now to Him, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To Him who is able to do, not just abundantly, <laughs> The Bible normally understates, am I correct? Normally it's like understating. It is good, you know. He was hungry after 40 days. He was hungry, <laughs> you know. So the Bible flourishes experts on all of these understatements, <laughs> you know. So when it says he was, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, <laughs> that's still a bit of an, as far as God is concerned. You know, an understatement in terms of what he can really do. So he's able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So I just want to drop this with you. God can blow your expectations clear out of the water. Right? Give you just so much more than you can even begin to imagine. Even begin to fathom. But do ask and do think. Do bring your imagination to the Lord. Some of us have our imagination stunted. We actually have unbelief in our imaginations because we, we, don't, we don't have a fertile imagination. We're not thinking about possibilities. We're not possibility thinkers anymore. We're survival thinkers, status quo thinkers. Let's just maintain, let's just get by. And God is saying now, I want you to dream. I want you to dream big. And then I want you to know I can do even beyond that. Okay, but do bring your thinking and your asking. Bring it to God. He's able to do Above all of that, according to the power that works in us. It's there on the screen. It says, God is able to exceed our circumstances, our thoughts, and our prayers. Don't limit what God can do in the second part of 2016 based upon what you experienced in the first part of this year. And I just felt that for some of us tonight, as we're going to go into worship, it's going to be a little bit like a crossing the Jordan. You've got to make that choice. You're going to draw near to God. You're going to make the choice. Maybe some of your goals at the beginning of the year, 
If you were to go back to them now, and you think, well, where, where I am now, like, uh, yeah, I feel a little bit disappointed. I feel a little bit betrayed by God, maybe even a little bit let down. God, why didn't you have that work come through in Somerset West by the sea? Maybe because you didn't ask the pastor there to pray with you for the job, but that's besides the point. Why didn't the relationship work out? Why didn't, you know, the baby get healed? Whatever it might be. I don't want to make light of it because I know for each one of us, when you're in that moment, it is massive. It's a crisis. And each one of us has to make that choice. That you will move away and you will get, move away from that experience. Don't allow your disappointment, your shame, your bitterness, whatever it is. Don't allow the label, leper, to define you. You are a worshiper. And when we worship, God's power gets released. To give us perspective and to give us faith to see the impossible being done. I want to finish off with a clip um, that I've meant a lot to me and it's sort of just sticking in my mind. Um, and I'm singing it over myself when I'm confronted because I felt in my heart some of you, just that thing, that chain around your heart. Some of us are confronted with just brokenness. Brokennesses. There's no such word, is there? Brokennesses. Brokenness. I don't know. Many brokennesses. <laughs> Lots of brokenness that we've carried with us for a long time. And I believe God just in worship, because you know the beauty of worship is that when you see Christ, the way that he looks at you, stirs worship in your heart. But if you see him distant, you see him as hard, you see him as unapproachable, it's tough to worship him then. But if, if you see him as engaging and open, it changes something in your heart. Even our worship is just a response to God's love. And so... As we're going to listen to the song or watch it, some of you might have seen it, just allow it to stir faith in your heart. Okay, that God still takes broken things and He makes them beautiful. Let's just um, close our eyes. God, we thank you for your, for your word, Lord, that says that you are willing, willing to make us clean willing to make us new. Lord, now we just here in your presence, we're about to worship you. We stand and we take authority over everything in our minds, in our experiences, maybe even in our DNA. They want to rage against their truth. That our God, our Savior is a willing God. Every false image of you being distant, every false image of you being uninvolved. We now take captive unto the obedience of Christ. And God, I thank you for the, the exchanges in this room. And even tonight, Lord, lepers will become worshippers. Labels would be stripped your presence it's something only you can do Christ and so we look to your spirit to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves I don't know what you what you saw just at the end it's that little girl focused the camera on you focused it on me 
And when you think of God, and I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, what, what man thinks of God is the single most important thing. It determines everything about us. I want to agree with him, and I want to say what we think of ourselves in God's presence. What's the image that you have of yourself? I think some of us, we've been staring at the mirror for so long, we have forgotten to look at Him. And tonight I believe Christ is just inviting you again to just don't stand at a distance. He hasn't created you to worship Him from afar. He hasn't created you to, to have a longing that's unmet. I see in some of you, you, you feel so far and you feel like there's this crowd of people between you and God. And just getting these glimpses of him, just a little glimpse here, a little glimpse there of Jesus. And, and when you finally get to the place where he is, he's gone. And I just feel to say to you, there's a way that has been made through the crowd of people's opinions of you and what they've said about you straight to his heart. And he's inviting you and I believe he's going to give you perspective tonight as you would just worship him. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful heart. Thank you for what you're about to just do as we would worship you, God. We would focus on you. Thank you that you make all things new, that you are able to give us more than whatever we've lost. You're able, God, to do above what we can ask for, what we can think. You're able to make all grace abound towards us. You're able to build up your church of which we are a part. We love you that we can just be kids and you can be God. Don't just want to stand with me as we're going to worship God. But I want you to just invite God just there where you're standing into just an area of your life maybe where you maybe you've doubted God's willingness or God's ability. And you just need to bring that before Him tonight and just say, Lord, Just have faith in my heart again. Don't, don't try and do it. You can't do it for yourself. You can't work up faith. Just open my eyes to see you. Heal my heart from the unbelief. And he knows what caused it. But tonight, he wants to empower you to let go of it. You're not a victim. The power in you enables you to walk away from that. To see him, experience him make things new so, so Lord we, we just push through the crowd tonight we thank you we can give you our all as so we worship you Lord in Jesus name I just feel the Lord saying that there are some of us here this evening who, who feel like we can't really bring our needs before the Lord because you know if I'm a worshipper then I mustn't focus on me I must focus on the Lord um, but that scripture that that Heinrich read in, in Matthew 8 verse 2 you know, look carefully what it says. It doesn't. It doesn't say, and the leper came to uh, came and worshipped him, and said, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." The, word, the, the, the leper wasn't doing two things. It says, and the, the leper came and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." When we come and we bring our greatest needs to the Lord in faith, 
it is worship to Him. In fact, I want to say the thing that you bring your greatest needs to is the thing that you truly worship. That which you bring your greatest needs to and expect those needs to be met, that is the thing that you are truly worshipping. That is your God. I just want to read you another scripture that I read to you um, a while back as well. It's from Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15. It says, Sacrifice thanks offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And listen to this, verse 15 of, of Psalm 50. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Our day of trouble, our greatest needs are all opportunities to worship God. Because when we bring like Heinrich was saying now, when we make ourselves vulnerable, when we bring our greatest needs to Him, we are actually acknowledging Him as our God, the one who meets our greatest needs. We are honoring Him. We are worshiping Him. So I think Heinrich's invitation tonight is just, just come, bring your greatest need before the Lord. I mean, to the leper it was His leprosy. What is your greatest need? What is your leprosy? Bring it to the Lord in faith and so worship Him. Amen. Let's do it.